Hello. Hello. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Kim. Welcome back to the Massive Fans Book Club podcast. We're excited to have you here with us today as we continue our dive into the first Sarah J. Mass book, A Court of Thorns and Roses. Today, we're going to be getting a little deeper into the book, which means we'll have more thoughts, more feels, and more laughs to share with all of you. And with that, let's jump into chapter 11. But actually, first, some housekeeping. Remember last episode when we pointed out that I guess there are no allergies in Prithian? Kim and I would really benefit from that. <laughs> Can I have that, please? No. Please, please. So if you hear us just like hacking away, there was no hope. There was no editing that out. There was no getting around it. If you wanted episode two, you were going to have to be here in allergy land with us. So with that, but chapter 11. But it's allergies, not COVID. True. It's allergies, not COVID. We'll take it. Chapter 11. So we just found out that Farah is looking out her window at the end of chapter 10 and she's like, my father. So now she's layering on all her clothes, knowing that if they make it back over the wall, it'll be cold in the mortal lands. So she's like throwing on all her clothes. She's stuffing that butter knife that she stole into her boot. And all the while thinking about how she cannot believe that her crippled broken father has come for her, which maybe should have been a clue. You think? because then she glances around the room, deciding that no one's around, and she shimmies down the drain pipe. Okay, she doesn't shimmy down the drain pipe, I'm kidding, but she does climb down the trellis of wisteria outside her window and carefully and quietly begins to approach her father. He motions for her to follow him, and they're both being all quiet and stealthy, and she notices that he's not really like wearing warm clothes, which again, maybe like should have been a red flag, but when it's not, she just continues to follow him, noting that he's like moving super swift and quiet, which again, he's crippled. Red so flag. I feel, yeah, I feel like we have all the makings of like a really good solid red flag here, but our poor girl is just so desperate to go home that she is not paying attention. True. Luckily somebody else is, and she feels a, a hand grab her arm and she hears Tamlin ask, going somewhere? Which, <laughs> okay. <laughs> shocked she's just like breathlessly trying to plead with him but my father i don't know why i've decided she's a southern belle but it cracks me up in this moment <laughs> and then tamlin has to explain to her that she's not seeing what she thinks she's seeing this is just some kind of shape-shifting fairy trying to lure her away from the safety of the manor house and i should note that it's like one thing if he had just calmly explained to her what was going on but like that's not Tamlin's style. So he's like growling at her and insulting her. Like, weren't you born to keep your wits about you? And like, he's right. But this poor girl is just like not getting it. And she's like, but I want to go home. <laughs> and so then he's like, home to what? You prefer that miserable human existence to this? And I'm just like, this man, his communication style just blows. <laughs> A little. So... Yeah, so he loses points for delivery on that one. I mean, he, he he's <laughs> he's trying. He's not wrong. He's already promised her family is safe and like taken care of, and he's trying to offer our you know girl here this pretty sweet gig to just like hang around his lands, and she knows it because 
she kind of admits that her wanting to go home isn't really want about wanting to go home. It's about like not being able to accept that she feels like she failed or gave up on her family to right. which Tamlin does earn a few points back. I mean, he yeah. does reassure her saying he's taking care of them and that she's not giving up on them. Right. And, and so, you know, I get that. Again, I mean, his delivery, like not so high. <laughs> But you know, honestly, this is this is my one beef, and I kind of get it because I get where it goes with the plot. But yeah, he's taking care of them. But like Sarah, I'm the kind of person to be like, okay, fine, you're saying that. How? Yeah, you'd think this man could afford to give some details. Zero details given, and I, like Sarah, I'd be like, yeah, I don't trust you. Again, but to be fair, his communication style sucks. But she also tends to add, okay, but she also tends to ask like non sequitur questions. She does. Like, instead of being like, oh, you took care of them. How did you do that? Instead, she'll be like, so you took care of them. Let's talk about Lucian. Like, she doesn't seem to like ask the questions she wants the answers to. She tends to like beat around the bush. Yeah. But, you know, she, she takes a mild long walk around the bush on average. Yeah, she like really does. <laughs> <laughs> what, what? You want me to tell you what? No. So how can I make this the most awkward question ever? And then she just doesn't even ask it, so then it's irrelevant. <laughs> You're like, okay, are we ever going to get there? Yeah, no. Well, apparently the answer is no. So yeah, as per usual, this just like ends. They like take a beat. And then, as I said, Farrah changes the subject. But to be fair, she changes it to something that's been bugging her. And she asks about like the lack of sentries around. And Tamlin explains that the sentries are posted at the borders and he and Lucian are enough. Now, what kind of stupid answer is that? So he explains that uh, like he was trained as a warrior because she's like, oh, I guess like you're some kind of warrior, huh? And so I guess he has to explain to her that, yeah, he was trained as part of his father's warrior band on the borders mostly because and this is the important part of this conversation mostly because running the spring court was never supposed to be on the table for him really well he so doesn't he thought. so he thought well right so he doesn't elaborate further <laughs> like he do and Farah decides that this conversation is going nowhere so again we go back to our non-secular questions and we go back to the shape-shifting not her dad fairy and Tamlin tells us it's called a puka and they you, they're like they use your desires against you to like lure you out and take you somewhere remote and and eat you yeah <laughs> they eat you which again as i've said before she handles better than me i think at that moment i'd be like i almost got eaten by this thing and she's just like oh cool beans <laughs> yeah i, I would have had i i would have lost my shit no lie <laughs> right, like, right i'd be like crying i'd be like no really please take me home <laughs> like, <laughs> um but he doesn't he went, do that he yeah exactly instead he just like reminds her that his lands didn't always used to be like this and then he says that it's not safe to travel alone at night especially if you're human I mean, arguably, it sounds like anybody could have fallen for this whole puka deal. So I don't think that's like a human problem. I think that's just a people problem, but or, I don't know, our fairies people, we're rolling with it. The point is, is I don't think that's human alone. No. <laughs> but now we have to take a second to talk about how like that feels like the end of the chapter to me. Yes. 
there should be a chapter break here and there isn't nope and this happens so much in this book like i have to say that the pacing feels a little weird and i don't really have any complaints like i love the story and it never drags so much that it's a problem but i personally could do with a lot more like smaller chapters and breaking places because like you know life happens and you have to put the book down yeah i agree Okay, cool. I thought it was just me. So anyway, no, this is one of those here. places. <laughs> I mean, they do. I no, I can't. I can't speak for because I read mine on the Nook, um, and so I can't. Sure, speak, sure. I can't speak for the Kindle version, but on the Nook, I at least get like some kind of marker to delineate like a break in the yes, chapter. Yes, I made a note about that somewhere else, where I was like, and then I get this weird little like snowflake that tells me but that we could have had a chapter, chapter here, but we don't. But it tells you that that part of the chapter is over and we're moving on, moving on to the next part. Yeah, it's just odd. Like to me, that is a really weird way to break stuff up. But again, yeah. that, may be that may come from my brain of like, that's never how you would write a script for stage. Yeah, I know. If something's over, it's over and the scene is over and we move I on. I kind of want to hear it go, scene and blackout. <laughs> <laughs> right right exactly and that's kind of what i picture every time i see that snowflake it's like blackout but who calls a blackout in the middle of a, of a scene nobody <laughs> no. unless you're doing like a thunderstorm nobody <laughs> cue sound <laughs> yeah unless we are doing clue and we have the lights turn off and a whole bunch of stuff happened in the dark <laughs> or something's afoot yes the same, same I, concept it's basically clue right. with music <laughs> right so, okay, fair. So I digress. Anyway, this is not a new chapter. We are carrying on with chapter 11, even though this part has nothing to do with anything I just talked about. No. Nope. So Tamlin takes up hunting the bogey full-time. That's like his full-time gig now. And Farrah just hangs out with Lucian and they just go on their patrol route every day. And, you know, like, hey, it's something to do. And like, I keep saying, you know, Lucian's probably hot. So there are worse ways to spend your time. Hey. You know, just, just saying. Uh, so Lucian and Farah like briefly see Tamlin at mealtimes for a couple days, but then he just like eats and runs. And on the third day, Farah finally looks at Lucian after Tamlin has run off for like the hundredth time. And she's like, you worry about him. And Lucian's all slumped over defeated and trying to explain that Tamlin quote, gets into moods. Basically he gets into these moods where he wants to fix a problem won't accept help from others like Lucian who would be happy to and then gets all broody about it <laughs> and fair is like well maybe you should talk to Tamlin especially if there's anyone who could help and then Lucian says and I quote he would probably shred them for disobeying orders to stay away I know which is so stupid and pig-headed but <laughs> Yeah, so they're fair. Yeah, right. So they're fair has a short internal monologue and she basically says it seems like a cold, lonely position to have, especially when you didn't particularly want it. And I get it. I truly do. But Kim, I'm with you. I don't really understand how she can like, I, I'm glad she can see it for what it is. And that she has this empathy for him. I appreciate that. And that's honestly where I really like I start to like Pharaoh more, mm -hmm. but as mm -hmm. just a human on the planet, we need to address that this is not healthy. <laughs> just, just, just a smidge, like a lot, like, yeah. 
Yeah. So like this moment for me works for proving who Feyre is and how she wants to help him and like how she can understand that he feels this way. So like, I appreciate it for what it is for that aspect. I'm just not personally wholly convinced that like he's dealing with this in a healthy way. So we'll see. (laughs) Well, you know, I'm not personally, well, I'm not personally convinced after I don't want to know how many rereads I've done at this point, I'm confused and lost and it just makes my brain hurt. I really just don't think that Tamlin's overall mental state is in a good place on many, many, many levels. Sure, sure. Exactly. And I guess that's what I'm trying to, yeah. And that's what I'm trying to get at too, I guess, is just the fact that like, I think we have to address that this isn't a particularly well-adjusted person we're dealing with. Right, yeah. And we are only getting the book from the perspective of Farah, who wouldn't necessarily pick up on this because she doesn't know him well enough yet. Exactly. But yeah, but as like an observer, like the reader, I personally just think that we're dealing with some stuff. I agree. Um, so yeah, so that's where we are. And again, I'm led to believe that this will be the end of the chapter and then it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so Stop. now instead uh, we just yeah now we just get like another snowflake and then now it's nightmare time <laughs> yeah fair has this nightmare about shooting uh andrews the wolf you know our wolf fay dead guy now uh she dreams about shooting him again but this time when she shoots him in the eye as she gets closer to him he's not a wolf anymore he's a high fame man instead and so she wakes up like all distressed and like all upset and like tries to force herself to like find some grounding but she like can't so she just like wakes up and gets out of bed and now the chapter's over there's something about that though have you gone back and checked that part of the chapter when she's waking up and she's noticing that andrus isn't the wolf but andrus there's a comment yes. in there about the fact that she doesn't feel like she's alone, but somebody else is there watching her. Yes, this is true. This is true, which is super creepy. <laughs> so chapter 12, we start with Pharaoh walking around trying to sketch out a map of the manor. She can't write, so she's just like sketching boxes and adding little X's where she feels important Purple. stuff is. X's and nose. Yeah, she's just yeah, she just be doodling. Cue door busting open with a breeze and a big old beast form Tamlin entering. So Farrah notes in her head just how huge he is in that form and that he's limping. And then like between steps, he shifts from his hot, like from his, you know, nasty beast form into his high fey form with a flash. Right, right, right. And uh, Farrah <laughs> yeah so he's all flesh flesh and then Farah fills in what must have been an awkward silence because that's how he is uh they're just like both standing there and she's like did you kill the bogey and he's yeah. just like yes <laughs> so he says welcome to zombie tamlin tamlin zombie yes yes i tamlin yeah he's you. just right he's just yes <laughs> And then filling more awkward silence, she points out that he's hurt, which she also admittedly does kind of like a dipshit. And she's just like, mm. you're hurt. <laughs> oh, man, so uncomfortable. 
So then he tries to change the subject, asking about her weird map doodles, and she just like folds it up all embarrassed. And he's like, you can't write. <laughs> because, you know, he's really good with women. And <laughs> he yeah, gives her this half-ass. Mr. Slick. Yeah, he gives her this half-ass compliment. And she even notes it saying she's not sure if it's a compliment or not. Where he's like, no wonder you became so adept at other things. Like, this is in response to him being like, you can't write. No wonder you became so adept at other things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so she finally gets him to show her where the, like, infirmary is. And she takes him there. Well, I guess he takes her there, but whatever. They get there. And then she bandages his hand all up. And I guess this is done in horrible silence because we basically just get her internal monologue of the whole thing. <laughs> And she's like, his eyes were a brand upon me as I finished cleaning and the room became small and too hot. And girl, I know that feeling, but also I'm so sorry that he couldn't come up with anything to talk about this whole time. <laughs> yeah, that that's painful. Like you kind of cringe when you read it because it's just like, dude, really, really? Well, because it's like, it's not even sexual tension. It's just tension, tension. Yeah. It's, like it's just uncomfortable. <laughs> it's not it's it's awkward it's uncomfortable it's truly it's like awkward as fuck you know it's that whole mm. it really is it really is uh then tamla says what is i'm sorry but one of the stupidest lines i've ever heard like sarah j mass i love you but this line is right up there with i admire your balls para from last episode <laughs> He says, you can write, yet you learn to hunt, to survive. How? What? Uh. <laughs> what does reading have to do with finding food for survival? I'm just confused. Like, I, I just, I, I don't imagine that these mortal lands are a society that particularly fixated on educating its youth. So I'm not really sure what percentage of humans can even read in this world. So I'm not sure why this is so shocking to Tamlin. I know. Like, I don't get this. <sighs> but anyway, Farah clearly finds this kind of weird too because she just interprets it, this as him being like, wow, humans are dumb. <laughs> and then they just like, don't talk shocker you know like they do and she leaves <laughs> and you're like that was the worst conversation i have ever had to overhear <laughs> so the next morning she comes down and now it's her turn to overhear stuff we feel like we were a fly on the wall listening to her and tamlin's horribly awkward conversation in the infirmary now she's a fly on the wall overhearing tamlin and lucian and she hears lucian say i just want to know what you think you're doing and tamlin like a genius retorts what are you doing <laughs> because clearly he's an a plus communicator but yeah, anyway yeah fairy hears lucian carrying on yeah i don't i don't know so Feyre hears Lucian carrying on something about not having much time and Tamlin is sulking and trying not to fake it anymore, whatever all that means. And Feyre hears Tamlin's next reply, 
that whatever they're talking about is a mistake and he can't do it anymore. And that's, he can't do it after what his father did to quote their kind and their lands. And he demands Lucian quote, back off, which, you know, Lucian doesn't because have you ever heard of a fiery redhead like backing off? No, never. I mean, says the girl. You know, have, did, you ever watch, did you ever watch Reba back down to Barbara Jean? <laughs> hey, I may be so, blonde now, but I was born a redhead. Girlfriend <laughs> has that problem. You've known me how long now? Have you ever known true. me to back down? Right. He does the opposite of back off and says, back off, back off while you seal our fates and ruin everything. I stayed with you out of hope not to watch you stumble. For someone with a heart of stone, yours is certainly soft these days. And then he goes into some stuff about the bogey and their barriers not holding and everything's a mess. Amlin tries to warn him again to like watch his mouth. And uh, while this is happening, Farrah has basically got her nose pressed up against the door. And somehow she messes something up and she touches something and it makes a sound. And she's like, oh shit, they heard that. So well, she's just like, oh. These are fairies. They have like supernatural hearing. Which means it probably could hear her nose like <laughs> on the door. <laughs> she awkwardly steps in the room, all so Lucian, you're going out for a ride? And Lucian's like, uh, no, uh, I can't today, but he'll go with you, meaning Tamlin. And yikes, I cannot even imagine the awkwardness of this moment because. Ew, we know the Tamlin can't talk. Why would I want to be stuck on a horse with him for like four hours? They, she, again, credit to Farrah. She handles it better than me. Uh, she admits to Tamlin, who's offered to take her hunting, that she hates hunting. She just did it for food. And he asks her what she'd like to do instead. And she must have answered, but we don't know that because the chapter just gives us one of those little snowflake indicator thingies. <laughs> It's literally like, so what do you want to do today? Snowflake, moving on. <laughs> Tamlin is now leading Farrah down some halls in the manor. Whatever she wants to do is here in the house. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. And they're totally. chatting. They're chatting finally, which thank God. And he's trying to make small talk, talking about like, you bandaged my hand so good. <laughs> And you're a hunter, yeah? Like, this is his talking ability. She kind of just makes up answers to what he's saying. She just chalks up her bandaging skills and her hunting skills to just observation of others and trial and error. And then she tries to breach the subject of how she overheard their conversation earlier. And she asks about bogey and, you know, what did Lucian mean about running out of time? And Tamlin gets all stiff and awkward and brushes past the topic saying, and this is a quote, I'm an immortal. I have nothing but time, Farah," Which is a lot of words that basically mean nothing. But apparently the way he says her name gives her the feels, which is kind of cute. Yeah. I just don't get why it would give her the feels. I'm so, I kind of admit I'm confused. I mean, they've had nothing but awkward interactions. Like awkward. Because he finally said her name, kid. Or, yeah, he finally said her name. Like, Finally, like she's a human with a name and he knows it. True. No, that's, I mean, now he's just being awkward with her name. I'm trying, I'm really trying, I'm trying to pull for him, but this conversation is not that cute. I tried. It, I it's kind of cute. 
Trust me, I want to. I, I want to. I want to say, go get her, Tamlin. But it's like, dude, it, it's like being around a bunch of middle schoolers. <laughs> it, it really, really is. Uh, we discovered that her plans about the day must have been something about going to the study because that's where we arrive, and that's where the chapter ends. Okay. So we made it to the study. We're at the study. So Tamlin does a cool <laughs> magic trick at the top of chapter 13, where he lights a bunch of candles. <laughs> and I'm about it. Kind of like yeah, bibbidi-bobbidi-boo? <laughs> yeah, a little bibbidi-bobbidi-boo and some candles do some things. And I'm just saying, I feel like this is a moment where he's like, see, I could make any room sexy. <laughs> I just choose not to. <sighs> oh, that's wrong. Okay. <laughs> Or am I just that right? A <laughs> little bit of both. Okay, fair. A little bit of both. <laughs> so basically, Farah is going to try to teach herself how to read. We've gotten to the study and she's like, I'm gonna teach myself to read and write from the basics that she already knows, like forming letters and sounding stuff out. Uh, and she's doing all this to write a letter to her family. Yep. She has Tamlin leave her in the study saying she felt it was bad enough that he knew she couldn't read or write. She didn't need him staring at her, which is fair. Awkward. Very awkward. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I could learn to read and write with somebody staring holes through me either. So I feel for her. <laughs> been there, done that. Well, not really reading and writing, but been there, done that. Yeah, no, it doesn't yeah. work. Yeah, it doesn't. So basically, Farrah tells us that she spends a few days pretty much doing nothing but eating, sleeping, and trying to read and write. And eventually, one afternoon, she decides she needs a break. And she's, like, standing up, stretching, and wandering around the study. And she comes across a mural that she realizes is the story of Prithian. And this is where we get a lot of background about what's going on here. Yeah. It begins with the cauldron, or more specifically, a woman's hands pouring contents of a cauldron out. And there are words that we can't read them. <laughs> oh, great. We're all to a fabulous start. Um, but the contents of the cauldron seem to form uh, a world or like a map of the fairylands and the seas and the continents and all of that. And in the next panel of the mural, it shows the war between the humans and the fairies. And it's all bloody and disgusting. And we just know that this image totally creeps out Feyre and she's totally just shaken to her core and she's moving on to the next panel and it shows now the map with the much reduced fairy realm and how it's been divided out right and she makes a point that Prithian still is rather large compared to some of the other fairylands but it's been divided into six additional courts to the spring court so we have spring autumn winter and summer and then above those there were two more courts dawn and she says that one's in like a pretty red color palette and the day court, which is in like a pretty blue and yellow color palette. And then above that it's frozen mountains and darkness and stars. And it's larger than the other courts. And she says that this is the night court. And right. she describes seeing between the mountains, little eyes and gleaming teeth. And she says that it's a land of lethal beauty, which I just yes. thought was like fascinating. <laughs> So she 
looks at the map a little more and she notices that at the center, there's a small snowy mountain range and there's one giant peak in the middle that doesn't have snow on it. And there are no clues identifying what it is. It's just this big mountain. And she goes back to her study. She's like, okay, all I know is that if I ever leave here, I'm not going north. <laughs> and she just goes back to her studies, which is fair. I feel like that's all I could probably glean from this mural if I couldn't read the words in the beginning. <laughs> you know, I give her credit for, I guess, and this is something, you know, they talk about it in earlier chapters about her artist's eye and the whole bit. And I really mm -hmm. have to kind of give that some credit that that's, what allowed her to really kind of read that map and understand it right. and interpret it. I wondered that. I wondered if she could really tell for sure that those were like the dawn, the day, and the night court, or if she just figured that out by like, okay, well, spring, autumn, winter, summer, I put that one together, so I leave three more. And then she just like interpreted the colors and stuff, because even if they were labeled, she wouldn't have necessarily been able to read them. Though we do know that she can sound stuff out. So, I mean, I guess maybe short words like, you know, dawn, day, night, maybe she could sound, yeah, I don't know. That's right. neither here nor there. Right. <laughs> so she goes back to her studies and she's reading children's books, children's books, which she questions why they're even in the library. <laughs> I can at some point when Tamlin's there, she's like, Are these from when you when were you a child? And he says something awkward like a long time ago, which like to be fair, is like how I feel if you were to ask me that. <laughs> so what do I know? Um, she begins to, from re she's reading this book and she begins to like read what she can. And then she writes down words that she doesn't recognize from the book and right. she gets frustrated. Like we all do. And she like balls up this piece of paper and just chucks it in the trash can. And of course, as she's doing this, Tamlin arrives and he's trying to offer to help her. And finally, he even actually just offers flat out to help her write a letter to her family. Cause he's not stupid. He knows that's what she's trying to do. Right. Right. So she's all irritated and embarrassed and she's all oh so you're offering to help me and not mock me and he's like yeah <laughs> but she refuses his help anyway and then he says this really awkward thing where he's like so you'll let lucian take you on hunts dot 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 and she's all well lucian doesn't pretend to be anything but what he is and i repeat even though i know this is beauty and the beast and i know where this story is going I love Lucian and this is a hill I'm gonna die on. <laughs> I don't I don't disagree with you. I mean I'm not I don't fight that with you, but you know that. I mean Yeah, I'm like, I feel you girl. I would just be hanging out with Lucian too. Screw this nonsense. But anyways <laughs> they argue for a few minutes, you know, because this is the only way they know how to communicate. Tamlin's just a crap communicator and he says that she like she says some stuff that he's, you know, hiding his shit from her or whatever and he's like well you're not what i thought a human would be either and then she gets insulted which is like fine but also you kind of insulted him so i don't really know what we're doing here <laughs> he tries to apologize but she storms out okay yeah cool. yeah later when she's cooled off she goes back to the study because she wants that list of words that she threw in the trash can except now it's gone and this is awkward <laughs> Oh, crap who took my list and she like tries to convince herself it's just like some cleaning fairy but <laughs> I don't know if she really believes that or not so she leaves the study and she spends some time mulling over the argument with Tamlin and like trying to figure out what her role is here and eventually she decides that well okay if fairies can't lie which is a thing she has been told 
she's thinking if fairies can't lie and they can only like evade information, maybe she could get Lucian to tell her how to trap a cereal. So she tracks down Lucian's bedroom, which is apparently really hard to find because you want her from this freaking manor for 20 minutes. <laughs> and she eventually finds his bedroom and he invites her in and they get to talking. And he tells her that he overheard her and Tam arguing earlier and decided to like stay safe in his room instead of coming to visit her, even though he's been gone for a few days. And eventually she starts asking questions about the cereal and Lucian's basically like, I would never advise a person look for one, but if I were to look for one, here's what I would do. <laughs> and honestly, these steps sound like a joke. Um, so here's how to catch a cereal 101. You find them in a grove of young birch trees. Mm -hmm. Why, I don't know. You just do. And then you lure them with a fresh slaughtered chicken. And then you trap them with a double loop rig snare. And then you make sure that you're armed to the teeth for reasons. <laughs> and that's what we know now. Okay? That instills that instills so much confidence in me. Not right. Um, he does point out that maybe if she were happen were to happen to do this on the ground somewhere close by the western woods while he's on patrol maybe he'd be close enough by to help her out if things went sideways and he and heard her yelled. scream. Yeah. yeah. Which, like I said, I told you I like this guy. And so she thanks him awkwardly because, you know, they're both like, we're not talking about this. And they're like, yeah, well, this isn't a conversation we're having. And she agrees to keep the information. She learned a secret. And he says, I think I'm starting to like you for a murdering human. <laughs> and that's a that nice compliment the, right that is the budding friendship of Lucian and Farah, and the end of chapter 13 I mean yeah I don't know I don't know if we're really going over a mountain I know we're kind of going into woods apparently some young birch tree woods but you know uh point is is with that I hand it to you Kim to fill us in on chapter 14 no problem oh my goodness so yeah so chapter 14 Farah goes to trap the cereal, armed with all the goodies that Lucian advised her to take. And I love how she thinks she's being so stealthy. She's human. They have supernatural hearing. Seriously, I, I don't care if there's nobody in sight. Someone's going to know something's up. Like, I, I don't I, know. Yeah, I, I don't. It, it goes back to the whole butter knife stealing deal. Like, I don't know what we thought we were doing. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. I just, I mean, I, I guess you just do what you can, you know? I mean, I guess if I was really trying to think about being in her scenario, like in her situation, I guess I'm supposed to just feel like so desperate that I would do something instead of nothing. So I guess that's where we're supposed to be right now. Right. And I get that. I mean, Truly, but it's still I, funny. So, Farah sets off to the western woods to find a grove of birch trees by running water. Okay, again, she thinks she's being slick, but I just, I always kind of question that. I'm like, I don't care how slick you think you are, I just don't think you're as slick as you think you are. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah, we can talk about that. I, I um, 
I think that a couple of times throughout the book, and then later, I think it, it becomes apparent we might be right. <laughs> just a little, just just a little. Uh, we'll, we'll get there. Well, and I think part of it is because you know she's walking out there and she's 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 trying to be all stealthy and all, but she keeps seeing these shining things in the corner of her eye, and I just mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's like what the hell? Something's there. Like I'm sorry, yeah. but you're not having this. You're not stroking out on us, sorry. It's like I've said before, we're not in Kansas anymore, and I don't know if she's really getting that. Yeah, and and that that's, I think, where I kind of struggle a little, because I'm like, really? Come on, honey, do the math. Especially because at this point, we've been here not long, but we, we've, we've been here some time. We know because we lost three days to, you know... <laughs> Three days to table looking for the bogey, and we lost, you know, four or five days studying in the study. I mean, we're probably a couple weeks into our stay here. <laughs> I would think so. I would think so. So I, I think at this point, it's like, come on, sugar. Even if you don't see anyone, you're there. There are people there. You know, you're not as alone as you think. So as she's out there, and she's she's noticing these woods don't look the same as the ones she usually goes through with with Lucian when they go out on hunts and. Um, patrol right. and that these woods are not tame and that this forest is old and ancient and it feels very alive which I found a really interesting description because mm -hmm. she hasn't described anything else quite like that so it's like there's some there's some magic juju going on there right exactly exactly something about this area is a little more magic-y than yeah yeah and so as she's out there and she's she's you know, tra-la lying through the woods. You know, I shouldn't say that, but it's like, you know, I kind of almost have the Smurf thing going on in my head, you know, la la yeah, la. I feel that too, la. because I, it sounds like she wanders around for a good long time, kind yeah. of trying to decide if she's really going to do this. Exactly. And you know, while she's- Meanwhile, carrying the dead chicken, mind <laughs> you. <laughs> dead chicken. Like, you're not going to attract animals, huh? You're carrying a dead yeah, chicken. Yeah, we don't really talk about animals here. Do you think they're just like normal squirrels and stuff? I don't know, but really. Okay, I'm sorry. Anyway, that's okay. completely irrelevant. <laughs> we're not we're not trapping squirrels. I'm sorry. I, I go there. It's okay. I go there with you. Well, yeah, there must be because there's chickens. <laughs> she she starts going through this, and she's like, she has all these questions running through her head, and she's asking about, you know. Does Tam report to the High Lord? You know, was it the High Lord or was it his consort? Is she the one who this mysterious she that she's heard referenced um, who carved out Lucian's eye? Like she's having all kinds of weird, deep thoughts. Um, but she finally finds an area and she scopes it out and she finds the birch trees and she finds the running water and she sets the trap for the Soriel. And she climbs up into a tree a little bit off and she's waiting and she's waiting and she waits and she waits a couple hours but she did note when she set it up that she only had a couple hours you know of daylight left so right. she's been out there what at least two hours would be my guess and she's probably got probably. like four yeah, hours yeah. of daylight so i'm like okay so anyway she finally notices a change in the sounds around her the forest goes really still and really quiet but then she hears like this whisper, like there's cloth dragging over grass with hungry, wheezing, sniffing sound coming out of the clearing she set her trap in, which 
so me when I wake up in the morning during allergy season. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Us, like, <laughs> I don't know. I kind of dragging, hacking, being real right. ugly. I can't, it almost makes me think of like the Snuffleupagus or something. I don't know. Like, it's really weird. <laughs> it's kind of a weird. Yeah. It's all, I'm like, really? Like, this is, it's allergy season. You're in the spring court. Uh, okay. Anyway, all of a sudden, she hears these shrieks coming and she, she, she captured the cereal. And she goes into the Two clearing where the cereal is. And from the back, she describes the cereal, and I, I am not kidding, and I'm a, I have to pull up some notes here, too, because I actually found some quotes. From first image from the back, tall, thin, veiled figure in dark, tattered robes, a hunched back. She could count the hard knobs of the spine poking through the thin fabric. This is creepy, man. With, I love this part, spindly, scabby, Ew. Gray arms with yellowed cracked fingernails. Dude, I would be like, I'm out. Gotta go. Bye. So anyway, it, it asks her, Did, are you the one who set this trap for me? She starts asking her questions. And she confirms that yes. And, and, and the cereal's like, I have not seen a human, let alone a human woman, for a really, really, really long time. And then she's like, who betrayed my secrets to you? And she has the audacity to look at this thing and say, my mother told me stories of you. And the story flat out says, lies. I can smell the lies on your breath. Anyway, she finally asked the human, the Suriel, is there really no way for, for me to go home? And the Suriel's like, no, not unless you want to die and your family die. Stay put. Which I... You know, I mean, thank you, Serial, for answering the question, but I do feel like we already need to answer this. Right. And so she kind of does this whole thing. And then she decides she's going to be slick. Well, what do you know about Tamlin? And I love the response. More specific, human. Be more specific. For I know good many things about the High Lord of the Spring Court. Boom. Yeah, because like the cereal likes to spill some tea, but I'm confused because I felt like we already knew this. Even on my first read, I felt like we already knew this. I think we did as readers because we kind of have started to realize his powers are a little bit more. Well, right, right. Okay. Yeah. But she's not calculating all that. And she's like, wait, he's the high lord. And she starts freaking out. I'm like, oh Jesus. Which is kind of hilarious and I love it. It's an Allison. She's like, oh shit. He's not just this dude. He's he's the high he's a high lord. He's one of the seven high lords of Prithian. Oh my god. It also depends on your speed of reading because right. sometimes, like if you're just banging through this because you're like, oh, it's a rainy Sunday and I'm just having a good old time, you're gonna miss some details as you, you know, just exactly. through. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it is possible. That if you read it too fast, anyway, no, no judgment. Point is, is, it may have been a big moment for some people, and that's really fun. I just did not have that happen. I didn't have it either, but it's I I enjoy I, I enjoy Feyre's response to it. So it it makes this comment, and it's like spring, summer, autumn, winter, dawn, day, and night. It mused as if I hadn't even answered. The seven courts of Prithian each ruled by a high lord, 
all of them deadly in their own way. Foreshadowing. And then she, the, the story continues on and says, they're not on, they are not merely powerful, they are power. Which it, that, to be fair, it, it puts it on a scale that we did not know before. Exactly, it does. It really kind of elevates it. And as, as soon as that's over, Farah has this light bulb moment and she's like, well, that's why Tamlin was able to face the boggy and live. And we're like, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And again, I knew, like by that point, I think that's when I realized Tamlin had to be the High Lord. Yeah, because Lucian kind of spilled the beans. He kind of does. It's just Lucian was like, oh, we can't do it, but he can. Right. <laughs> Oh, what would possess you to think that he could do it just because what he goes to the gym on Tuesdays? Like <laughs> he's a gym rat. He goes every day. But Farah has something in her. She she thought she's gonna chit chat up this cereal while she has it. I'm like, well, you, you go. Know, girl. Good for her, I guess. Good for her. <laughs> and so after she gets told that, then she's asking about the blight, which you know I have to give her credit because honestly, let's face it, if most of us were facing a creature that looked like the Grim Reaper, I don't know if I'd be thinking about asking about the blight. Just saying. Fair. I, don't think that I would be will give way. you that. Although I feel like the surreal kind of opened that door because the surreal is the one who's like, stay with the High Lord because some shiznit's about to go down. True. He'll protect you from the shiznit. So I guess you then have to ask about said shiznit. Right. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, was, it was interesting. And the surreal starts, anyway, she got, I, I always think of the surreal as a she. I, I know it's gender neutral in the book, but. I think it's the whole. It's fine. Like, I call it a he. So between the two of us, it's, <laughs> we cancel each other out, and it's gender neutral. <laughs> well, you know, it's that whole. I see them having tea. You know, it's. it's like, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And uh, it also goes back to some memes I've seen about the cereal after I read the book, and then it was very. Oh funny. yeah, we will. Yeah, we can link to some of those memes in the show notes because, good lord, are they hilarious. The Surreal's like my favorite underrated character. Yes, yes, yes. Just because of the memes. <laughs> exactly. Love me, the Surreal. No, Moving it's on. okay. So the Surreal spilled some tea. So the Surreal, so she spilled a lot of tea. And then they start talking and, 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 and the Surreal, you know, is talking to her about what needs to happen and the surreal says stay with the high lord you will be safe he will shield you from the shadow over prithian stay close to him and all will be righted i'm saying it's kind of prophetic now i admit surreal definitely has a weird way of talking like they yeah. it talks in riddles i don't know yeah i mean it's real but it's also like a fairly straightforward like don't it go home that's a bad choice yeah. Stay with the High Lord. That's the better choice. <laughs> right. And then the, the Surya starts talking about the Blight and, and says, you know, they, they start this long history story, basically, of a land across the sea ruled by a wicked king. I mean, it sounds like some really crazy nighttime bedtime story, right? It's true. And, and then the evil king dispatched spies around the world. And 50 years ago, one of those spies trade him the deceiver dun 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 and then all of a which, sudden the surreal stops yeah says. sorry i was just gonna say which plays into this whole thing where 
we're doing some like J.R.R. Tolkien style, you know, world building where we're given some mm-hmm. history and mm-hmm. we're trying to like build these lands and like try to like do this world building thing. And, and I'm all about it, but I gotta be honest, it is a lot to suddenly get yeah. in one chapter. It is. And it does come back. So like it is good information, but it's a lot to digest when you're reading a fantasy novel. <laughs> you're right. Tolkien-esque is, is a good way to describe it. It's very, it's very Tolkien-esque. It's, 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 well, it's We've also, done everything, but give it its own language. <laughs> true. I mean, and I love Diana Gabaldon and she's another one who she, I mean, if, if you've ever read Diana Gabaldon, if you don't know who she is, she's the author of Outlander. If you've watched the TV show, if you know who Sam Hewen is, he plays Jamie Frazier. God help me, he is beautiful. Anyway. Um, and also sort of who I picture as Lucian, which might be the key here. Yeah. <laughs> my love of Lucian. No, we might be getting to the that. bottom of this. <laughs> I could dig that for Lucian. Hello, mama. Yeah, we might be getting to the bottom of this. Okay. Woo-hoo. Okay. Anyway. Um, but Diana Gobaldin, I mean, her books are super thick and, and she's known for her very dense world building and, and detail and, and setting the scene and the place and the time within history. So if you read- I was going to say, that's the only key difference to me is that, it, for example, when you're reading Outlander, if you already have any kind of background history knowledge to play from this right. isn't necessarily all new information right. versus none, none of us have been to Prithian or school about Prithian. <laughs> true very true but so it, this is all brand new information it, never it before heard and I and I don't take anything away I just I want I guess I want our listeners to understand if they haven't read that to or if they have give them a context of sometimes it's for sure there's so much world building that does have to happen and unfortunately you can't just create this fantasy world and not put the world building in and sometimes it just seems like it's it comes out in strange places it really doesn't but when it does it tends to be a lot all at once Um, and I I think that's one of the beautiful things about the Sorial is the Sorial really does give you the opportunity to put that world building into place but just as the Soriel is starting to get into the story and talk about the deceiver, whoever this deceiver is, the serial stops and they go, we're not alone. And literally, Favor's like, well, who is it? And she's like, it's the Naga. These are fairies made of shadow and hate and rot. And I'm thinking, coming from the creature that looks like the Grim Reaper. Anyway, but what I do want to say about that is, is that Feyre is something like, oh crap. And she's getting ready to cut the cereal free when these four Naga come out of the shadows. And that's literally how the chapter ends. And then you're like, oh crap. So I have to give Feyre credit because I don't know if I'd have held my cold watch. I probably would have, but that's a stage manager in me because, you know, we're trained that when it all goes to shit around you to just buckle down and get through it and then you can lose your shit yeah, when it's cry done. Later. yeah you can go cry in the corner when it's all over and done with so she does free the surreal with one arrow i mean her her aim is really that good and that that is kind of something 
to be noted and said and, sure. and she's kind of like got that robin hood aiming thing down right and uh, i think that's why you know when when she admits to tam earlier i hunt because i have to not because i enjoy it right it's kind of some insight into the fact that she had to be a good shot because if she didn't be starved but not only that, it also just proves that she's got some natural, like, ability. ability. Yeah. You know, absolutely. she's she's kind of naturally, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, athletic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, but, but we don't dwell on it as the reader because she doesn't dwell on it. Like, I don't exactly. think she thinks of herself that way. I agree. I agree. But as she shoots the arrow to free the cereal, she screams because supposedly Lucian is nearby. So let's hope Lucian moves his butt in gear, right? Yeah, come on, come on, homeboy, let's go. Come on, come help our girl. Come on, be be the buddy you are. And she starts running and she crosses the water and she's like, well, I know it'll stop the cereal, but I don't know if it's going to stop them. And it doesn't. And she's suddenly fighting three of them and she gets injured in the process of running and fighting. Right. And she's literally at the point where she's, at this point she's kind of like shit i'm dead <laughs> like yeah she's now it? starting to panic because lucian hasn't shown up and she's got three of them and right. all of a sudden there's this huge roar and so of course you're thinking it's gonna be lucian surprise it's tam lucian, uh tam basically kills the other three naga like right. fights him off kills him and once he calms down he realizes Pharaoh is injured. And then once he comes on, he actually heals her wounds, which yes. kind of freaked her out a little. Not in a bad way, just kind of a why are you doing this way? Oh, you know, it's a little bit the scene from Tangled <laughs> when Flynn realizes she has magic hair and he just keeps repeating that. He's like, she has magic hair. She has magic hair before. <laughs> exactly. That whole. You can heal me. You can you can heal me. She fights the Naga, and she actually kills one pretty much right off the bat, which is like, damn girl, you go right. again. These aren't Ash arrows, so the fact that she was still able to kill it is like. So Tamlin, they're walking back to the manor house, and Tamlin's like, "Why were you out here?" She's like, "Um." <laughs> And at that point, Tam just stops and he looks at her and he's like, look, please stay close to the house if I'm called away from the house. Like, if I'm called away from the manor, stay close. Don't leave the grounds, okay? Just to be safe. Because apparently he had tracked the whole pack of the Naga and these four had gotten away when they heard the surreal. Right. And then they could smell, smell Thera and it was like, anyway. So we don't know if he killed the other Naga or not. I, I I, I really don't know. Like, it's kind of random. Right. And then we get to chapter 16. Now, chapter 16. Um, oh, real quick. I have one thing about chapter 15 that did. Yes. There are not many moments where I'm like, oh, these two make a cute couple. <laughs> but there was one. <laughs> but there was one. And so I have to bring it up. Okay. Uh, actually, this is why. There's kind of two. 
Uh, not only does he heal her wounds, you have to remember we have this very awkward Twilight-esque moment. It's not even Twilight. That's second book and second movie, whatever that was called. Mm -hmm. Weird moment where he realizes that during this scuffle, her shirt got ripped open. Mm -hmm. So he takes mm -hmm. his off and gives it to her. And it cracks me up because it's very reminiscent of when Bella falls off the motorcycle and has like the teeny tiniest scrape on her forehead and Jacob overreacts, ripping his entire shirt off just for an excuse for Taylor Lautner to be shirtless and hands her his shirt to like put on her wounded forehead. <laughs> well, that's kind of cute. It's kind of cute. And then I also noted that they kind of had a cute moment because after that, he helps her get up and she says, like in her little internal monologue, she says, I stared at our linked hands, both coated in blood that wasn't our own. And like, I get why she's feeling something there at this moment, because for the first time, like she's realizing how, like, like think about the two of them, how many people could either of them have come in contact with like in their lives who basically knows what it feels like to do these horrible things out of survival and not because you want to or because you feel good about it. True, very true. So I appreciate that moment because it's kind of the beginning of a turning point where I think she's realizing that they do have things in common and he may not be a good communicator and he may not always say the right things, but he did show up, he did save her, he did give her his shirt. <laughs> He healed her boo-boos. You know. Yeah, he healed their boo-boos. So I, I do get it. And I, I wanted to pause and give him credit because I give him a lot of crap. <laughs> chapter 16, teaching Feyre about Prithian. Not that any chapters in this book have a name, but it seems like an appropriate name for this chapter. Yeah, it works. Feyre gets back from her adventure with uh, the Surreal and the Naga and being rescued by Tamlin. Yep, yep. and cleans herself up in her room and takes a bath you know makes herself pretty and alice choose her a new one <laughs> <laughs> basically <laughs> and she just tears in the pharaoh she's like why are you so stupid and i was just like oh shit you go girl of course i feel like you're yeah. gonna go get a cereal i was like oh jesus here we go they get into it and Feyre accuses Alice, you know, because she's like, Feyre's like, look, I did this for my family and yada, yada, yada. And Feyre basically accuses Alice of not having a family. And it really kind of changes the tone because, because. Well, right. Because this is the weirdest thing Feyre could have said. I agree. It's not. Because it's not. she, she comments, like if you, like in the book, it says that Feyre like looks at Alice and notes that she doesn't have a ring on her finger and right. then accuses her of not having a family. Feyre, you have a family and you're not married either. But not only that, Feyre has a family that doesn't want shit to do with her. <laughs> Basically, so it's a really weird thing for, and this is another one of those moments of Feyre like showing her age. Yeah, this is one of those things a stupid 19 year old would say. Favor backs down. She's kind of like, look, I'm really sorry. <laughs> and I love this because like Favor starts asking all these questions about her nephews and where are they and the whole bit and no, they're being kept safe. But Alice makes the comment, but they're so rare 
all our young are and more precious to us than jewels or gold. And that's something right. we need to put a pin on and come back and visit at a later date because this does come back. It does have a relevance many times over in the, not just this book, but in the stories as a whole. Um, but I, 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 you know, I forgot that she's the one who kind of lets it go how important the younglings are and how, right. how important children are to, especially Haifei. And I was like, wow okay well, right and especially too because for the high fae we have to remember that like eventually we understand kind of the exchange of power yeah and that that also plays a role because Absolutely. what happens if you don't have any children <laughs> exactly exactly it's right. huge it's huge yeah. so that makes it, it makes sense that it starts this whole thought process of well what 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 does this world look like and and right. how do they <laughs> this sounds kind of stupid but how do they populate it <laughs> Well, that and how all of a sudden these two fey males that she's around that she thinks right. can't be more than their mid-20s right 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 are old and they tell her right no, and they had told old. her that but i don't think she understands right just kind of how, how old. old they are until and then you're like yeah oh oh <laughs> Well, and also that they age differently. I, I kind of, I, I attribute this kind of to going back to, I think last episode, I mentioned Vampire Diaries and I'm back at it again. It's, it's the Vampire Diaries mentality or even better yet, actually the Twilight mentality of those vampires pretend to be high schoolers because they were young enough when they were changed that they have to be something. And that allows them to stay in one place for long enough faking their ages because if you know if they if they can appear 16 to 25 they can stay somewhere for almost 10 years right. you know and right. i think this is the same thing where it's it's it you know on one hand you know she's describing them as looking very young but then again she looks even younger than she is so if she's 19 but looks 15 because she's you know emaciated and not well taken care of and right. she's thinking they look 25 they may look 30 but it's irrelevant because they're 100 <laughs> older than that, but yeah well right but i just yeah i mean there's that and, and it's funny you bring up you bring up the vampires because it, it doesn't matter what vampire what vampire story you read without fail they're young like they're right. whatever age they are when they're turned is the age they remain and like right another series of books that i love and i i have to read it at some point i'm gonna get you to read them is um deborah harkness is a discovery of witches and yes. it has vampires in it. And, you know, one of the things that happens is, is that one of the characters is a 1,500-year-old vampire who looks like right. a man in his 30s. Right. Because well, once- this is a common trope in fantasy-type stories right. anyway. I, nobody ever remembers it, but during the writer's strike way back when, and they were pulling all these TV shows out of the can, there was a show called New Amsterdam that only had one season. And the, the concept there was that he could not age until he basically broke this curse. And so he had been 30 for like 200 years or something. Right. And so, yeah, it's the same thing. And yes, I agree. I loved that show. And I was, I was all on that bandwagon that tried to get it renewed after that, but all of the actors had already signed new contracts. No. So Ooh. we did not get a second season. Although I never looked, I bet you there was some really good fan fiction out there. Ooh. You may have to go look for that. Hmm. But we digress into all of our other nerddoms. 
we we appreciate your patience to just have it make sense so like it's really important for all of us to remember that that especially for the high faith the the children are so important and so rare and so special that they actually have more value than than jewels and gold which i mean we should all feel that way about children in my opinion but because of that because the having a child as a high faith is so hard and so difficult and so rare i think it's important because it does come back to play later in the story, later in other books in the series. And sure. I, I just want to make sure that people recognize that that isn't just like kind of put out there as a, because they're so important because they're my, my nephews. No, they're important because. Right. In, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. So anyway, so then they end up, you know, in the dining room and, and she's at, she's at dinner with Tam and Lucian and, and Lucian kind of gives her this half-hearted, I'm really sorry. I, 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 I wasn't there. I was, I was busy. It's like, yeah, right, dude, you were kind of hoping. But he also is trying not to bring too much attention to the conversation because he doesn't want to give up the fact that he basically let her up there. <laughs> well, yeah, there is that. Anyway, so throughout dinner, they're chit-chatting and Lucian, being the courtier that Lucian is, makes the comment, well, you still look lovely regardless of your health-scent afternoon. Here, dude, can you make it any thicker? Lay it on. Here, let me get you the spatula to lay it on a little thicker, will you? And And yet this is why I love him, because at least he's snarky and fun to talk to versus Tamlin, who says nothing most of the meal. He grunts. (laughs) Enjoy the silence. Given the option between the two. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm not, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm Team Lucian, girl. Anyway, Feyre opens up the Pandora's box on what fairies can and can't do. And she's like, she starts laughing and she's like, I'd never look lovely a day in my life is what she's thinking to herself. And she starts laughing and she says out loud, I thought fairies couldn't lie. And right. apparently this cracks up Tam and Lucian. And they're both like, uh, who told you that? And she's like, everyone knows it. And she's starting to wonder, uh-oh, uh-oh. And Lucian just kind of speculates this evil little grin on his face. And he's like, of course we can lie. We find it to be an art. And we lied when we told those ancient mortals that we couldn't speak an untruth. How else do you think we could get them to trust us and do our bidding? which yeah so and i get why this would be like an oh crap moment for her but on the other hand i sort of feel like by now we should have assumed all information we thought we had about fairies was on the chopping block i'm not really sure yeah i'm not really sure why we thought they couldn't lie like why we thought that would hold up given that like everything she's learned about tamlin and lucian prithian since she got here i mean she pretty much as soon as she got here identified like wait a minute they live in houses like yeah. i mean good god everything all the in, your intel sucked <laughs> i agree and then she's like iron and and lucian's like nothing the only thing that can hurt us as you know is an ash arrow but the only downside to this is it does make her question the information she got from the surreal fair Except for the fact that we are told that that's the whole point of a surreal. <laughs> I agree. 
Not oh, only yes. that. Uh, take it with a grain of salt, but don't throw it, the baby out with the bath water. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, she thinks about it. She takes one look at Tamlin and she's like, no, he really is the high lord. And if that's the case, then Suriel wasn't yanking her chain. Tamlin's like, why were you in the woods? Feyre starts to think about this. She's smart. I give her credit. She's like, you know, right. I'm, I'm going to tell him the truth. And she does. And so Tamlin assumes, oh, so you went to the woods to catch a surreal. Like that didn't happen. And boy, is he in for a shock when she's like, well, no, I did. I caught it. And she's like, you what? <laughs> you what? <laughs> Which just had me kind of laughing because I'm like, dude, why? Why is everybody questioning that she could do this like i i don't know i i guess because she's a human i i don't know but i mean she's yeah a- we're getting some we're getting some stupid from both sides <laughs> we are we really are because it's like the, like she has proven she can kill a fairy so how could she not necessarily trap the surreal right but this conversation goes on because he's like well if I'm lucky, I won't have to ask the sorrow what this is about. And he takes that list of crumpled words from the library bin. <laughs> he starts reading them. Unusual, cue, slaying, conflagration. <laughs> gotta admit, there's some odd words. She's like, instead of trying to answer his questions that he starts asking her about all this, she tries to leave. And he stops her and he's like, you really love them very much and he's real she he had known that whatever she was doing had to do with her family she was trying to communicate right. with them and it really kind of catches her up short that he has put it together and she wasn't expecting it he he offers he's like look i can help and she's like leave me alone she's all upset she's embarrassed and the whole bit right and he's finally like, you really love them? And he's like, I really wonder if they know that. He, and if they, they even realize that, that everything that you have done wasn't about that promise to your mother or for your sake, but for theirs. And that really kind of lays the crux yes. of her dilemma out there is yes, she made the promise to her mother, but in the end, she loves her family. Right. No matter how shitty they've treated her, she really does love her family. There's nothing she wouldn't do for them. And and for him to just be like, look, I'm I'm happy to help you. And she's like, no. And he's trying to be like, look, I'm not trying to insult you. I'm actually trying to help you. Yeah, this is the first time I made a note of that same line because I said, despite him being a dick about the list of words. Yeah. He, is. <laughs> he does actually want to talk to her about this because he's he's putting together that all of these questions where we were making fun of her in the last episode where she kept being like but my family but my family it's because she was hiding behind the fact that she you know quote unquote owed them or she had to help them but really she probably does miss them too absolutely absolutely it leads to this very touching moment between Tamlin and Feyre in a rose garden. But it is a very sweet little moment. And again, this is kind of one of those, okay, he's not a complete and total ass. He really is trying to be very sweet and sure. almost romantic. Yeah. Yeah, I say. I, yeah, he's, yeah, in, in his way, I suppose. 
I'm not reading it as romantic as in kissy kissy romance, but yeah, in the sense of maybe we're not going to be mortal enemies anymore. Maybe we're actually going to mm-hmm. like try to get along. Sure, sure. Because yeah, because he does end up asking her, um, like if there's anything he could you know like get her or give her to make her more comfortable right and I mean the comment comes up all right fine so you know you don't want my pity you don't want my help what about a friend come on don't you want a friend and she asks it's a fair question can fairies be friends with humans right and we get some more backstory here but it's good backstory it's important backstory because all of a sudden the world building happens, but from a source you're not expecting it to come from, which is Tamlin. And mm-hmm. he, he's like, you know, well, 500 years ago, enough fairies or friends with mortals that they went to war on their behalf. Well, right. wait a minute. There was a wall put up 500 years ago. And she's like, I'd never heard that before. And it hadn't been in that mural in the study. She didn't say it out loud, but she's thinking that. Right. And he was like, how do you think the humans survived as long as they did and did as much damage to the fairies to even come to an agreement for the treaty with right the ash weapons alone like come on really there were fairies who fought and died at the human sides for their freedom and who mourned when the only solution was to separate our peoples and it, and and for those of you listening if you haven't read the book please do but understand that this is a huge part of the world building and it really it's not so much as important to the rest of this book, but it definitely is huge to the rest of the series going forward. So For sure. I'm not giving anything away by saying that, but I, I am, I, I want you to be aware that that information is out there. Right. And we get a glimpse at the finally how old Tamlin is because she's like, well, were you one of them? And first of all, he there are two things that come out of this little speech of his, which is such a pretty little speech. But he, he one, he tells you how old he is, roughly. But two, he, he also talks about the kind of person he is, like, in his heart. And how he really feels about people and how he sees things. And this is something kind of important to keep in mind. And his comment is, I was a child at the time, too young to understand what was happening or even to be told. But had I been old enough, I would have. Against slavery, against tyranny, I would gladly go to my death, no matter whose freedom I was defending. He's a high And like we said, we give him a lot of shit, but... He really does have some outstandingly spectacular moments. So go Exactly. Go Tamlin. And she's like thinking to herself, I don't know if I would have done the same. My, my, my job would have been to protect my family. Hands down, no one to or butts. So I, I found that really interesting. This whole conversation keeps going. And they get to the point where Tamla's finally like, look, your family is fine. I put a glamour over their minds, over their memories. They don't remember a beast coming into the hovel and breaking down the doors. They're taken care of financially. They think that you're staying with an old family relative. Also put in there that there are issues going on. And if they start to hear crazy rumblings above the wall, get out of Dodge. 
And so this whole time when she's been asking about her family and he's been saying they're taken care of on one hand, he could have said this earlier, but on the other hand, he wasn't bullshitting her. He really did take care of pretty much every aspect. It's kind of a weird thing, but part of you is like, would she have believed him if he had told her earlier? Right. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I, I don't know. Sure. And it gives it, it, it makes it more important here because now they are starting to establish some kind of a friendship. So she has no reason not to believe him. Correct. Correct. There is definitely a, a less antagonistic relationship going on between the two of them. Um, and in doing this and then him talking about what he did to her family by glamoring them and the whole bit, she's realizing that the promise she made to her mother to take care of her family is done. They're taken care of. She has fulfilled that promise. She's free. He's been asking her for a while now, as as you talked about in some of the early chapters, what does she want to do? She's been like, what do I want to do? What do I do? What do you want to do? Um, She doesn't know what to do with her time. And all of a sudden, all of these things she was worried about for her family, taking care of them, the whole bit, it's really moot and it's not an issue anymore. And she's like, I want to paint. I just want to paint. He's like, kind of surprised. He's like, wait, you like, you like art? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, okay, fine. I'll get you supplies. She's like, I'm not good. And he's like, I'll get you supplies. It's going to take a couple of days. I'll even take you to see the gallery. And she's like, wait, there's a gallery. (laughs) He's like, look, I had it closed off. I wasn't using it wasted space I wasn't going to do anything so I just kind of closed it off but he's gonna he has suddenly said I'm gonna take the time and effort I'm gonna make this for you and I'm just like isn't that just like the sweetest awesomest thing it really is yeah you know and this chapter ends and he smiles at her completely genuinely smiles at her and Pharaoh's like Isaac never smiled at me that way nobody has ever smiled at me that way and it was so unexpected that she's struggling not to smile back at him the whole time, but she's kind of got this little girliness going. And um, I don't know. I thought that was really yeah, cool. Yeah, it's super cute. And now we're at chapter 17, and I'm going to give it back to you, friend. So chapter 17, Feyre wakes up from a nasty nightmare she was having about a faceless woman repeatedly asking for her name and basically trying to kill her. So that's, you know, some Happy. Yeah. Boy, and so I, she I, I want that up. dream. Right? No. So she wakes up and when she's trying to figure out, you know, what's going on, I, you know, how am I going to go back to sleep? She hears shouting and then screams that remind her of an injured animal in the forest. And so she immediately gets up and she goes downstairs to investigate and she sees Tamlin rushing into the hall with an injured fairy. And this fairy has blood gushing out of these two black stumps at his shoulder blades. So the wings or lack thereof. Lucian shoves a flower vase off a nearby table and Tamlin puts the fairy on it. And Farrah notes that he's not headed for the infirmary. So either Tam's not thinking straight or it wouldn't do any good. Right. 
so the fairy keeps shouting my wings she took my wings and lucian who is overcome by this whole situation vomits and said pond and plant that he just shoved off the table and then runs upstairs to his room and Farah steps in and instinctively takes the fairy's hand and like a disney princess and i mean this honestly with no disrespect to Farah or disney princesses i just think this is what disney actually does well yeah. Farrah talks to this fairy, comforting him as she realizes by looking at Tam, who gives her just the slightest indication that these are the fairy's final moments. Yeah. And and she really just steps in and takes on that moment, even though like nobody would have asked her to. Right. And and so she stays with the fairy, promising him that he'll get his wings back in whatever fae heaven looks like, I presume. And and he's very, he's so traumatized by it. He just, he, he, yeah, he's my wings. She took my wings. And of course you're kind of going, she who? Right. Right. Yet again, this is she. Right. And, and Feyre is just standing there like holding this fairy's hand and she's trying to tell him it's going to be okay. You'll get your wings back. And, and Tamlin recites a short prayer over the fairy and eventually the fairy does pass. And, and Tamlin eventually, you know, gives Fair a minute and, and they all kind of take a beat. And then he squeezes Farrah's shoulder, telling her that, you know, the fairy's gone and, and it's over. And so he leads her upstairs and she points out that they just, you know, she, she's kind of stunned and shocked and she's mm-hmm. covered literally in this fairy's Whoa. blood from being like, you know, on its level. And she finally, the only thing she says as he's taking her upstairs is we can't leave him there. And Tamlin says he never planned to, but he wanted to walk her upstairs first, which, uh, you know, I think is a sweet gesture because as upset as he is, now she's kind of traumatized by this. And honestly, you know, love my man Lucian, but she handled it better than he did. So now she's seen a lot. So it's, it's been a, it's been an evening. It has been. Yeah. And so she offers to go with him to take this ferry wherever it is he's going to take it. And he says no, and she persists, and he says it's not safe, and she persists, and eventually he gets all growly like he does, and he says that he just wants to do it alone, right? which is kind of what I think Lucian was talking about earlier when we were talking in this episode, where he kept saying, like, he wouldn't let anybody help him yeah. anyway. I agree. And, and ultimately, in the end, it, it's for the best that he's the one. For sure. It's just, it's... I could understand that moment from her too, being, you know, thinking, what do you want me to, like, she can't forget what she's seen. She can't forget what just happened. And now you're going to tell her to basically just go sit quietly while I take care of this and do what, you know, and do what, sit there and think about it give me no closure. Okay. Right. 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 No. And I agree. But my favorite part about this entire chapter is then there's this moment where Tamlin asks Farrah why. You dislike our kind on a good day. And after Andrus, why? Right. And she gives what is the world's best answer and the reason why I decided I like her. Yeah. And she says, because I wouldn't want to die alone. Because mm-hmm. I'd want someone to hold my hand until the end and a while after that. That's yeah. something everyone deserves, human or fairy. Yes. It's and- so... <laughs> 
I swear to God, if they mess up any part of this scene and when they have their eventual TV show, I will have a cow because it is so powerful the way it's written as is. I agree. I think any fan will probably (laughs) unhinge like any truth. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and also depending on where you are in your reading journey, if you've read through the end of this book already, this is without giving anything away, but please, 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 I did not pick up on this on my first read, but think about it and think about, you know, what happens to some of these characters. Like just keep this quote in the back of your mind because I think it's really interesting to look at it later. Yeah, that quote is so important. It has so and much. And if you had a light bulb moment, you're welcome. If you already knew and I'm slow, I'm sorry. And if you're reading along with us, I promise we will circle back to this eventually. Yeah. <laughs> Farah actually at this point now apologizes for the first time with like actual sadness and understanding in heart rather than just a half-assed apology. Right. for what she did to right. Andrus and and Tamlin nods accepting the apology and the two ultimately part ways Feyre back to her room and Tamlin to take that fairy away right and that's where we end chapter 17 it's not a long chapter but it's an emotional chapter that gives you a whole lot more insight than you had before of how any of these characters Lucian included how they handle these kinds of moments yeah no i agree i agree 100 percent. so in true tamlin fashion chapter 18 starts off with him being awkward surprise this is like the next day and he basically rambles about how his meetings or something have been canceled and the gallery's being cleaned so we can't go in there and your paints haven't arrived yet um so let's all go for a ride, the three of us. Giddy up. Okay. Giddy up. Right. So they head out <laughs> and eventually end up in this a beautiful grassy meadow that Farah has that's unlike anything Farah's ever seen. And Tamlin yeah. sets out a blanket, <laughs> which I think is hysterical. He's like, here's a pretty picnic blanket. And Lucian pops down on the blanket. I'm gonna open up a drink and hey, y'all have a good time. Yep. And Farah's just sitting in the grass, practically rolling in it, too dumbfounded for words. I know. And Lucian's just like sitting on the blanket, like, yep, got my wine. It's a sunny day. I'm good. And Tamlin goes and joins Farah. And she starts to ask, like, where are we? And he says it's just a glen. And you know he knew about her from being a kid or whatever, and she's like, like oh, you, you know, she's poking fun with him. And then he asks her if she likes it. <laughs> He's like, so do you like it? Like the Glen? <laughs> and she says yes. And then he pokes fun at her because it, she basically answered questions like he does. <laughs> exactly. One word, awkward silence. <laughs> Uh... right so then they kind of are playfully chatting and and we learn a little bit about you know what she heard from the serial because she says something about him being a high lord and and they're joking about it and then you know he just kind of 
makes a joke about the fact that they're joking about it. Like even he's identified basically like, oh, we're usually super awkward. This is going better than usual. I know. Maybe <laughs> we all just needed to go roll in the grass. I don't know. Apparently, apparently. So Tamlin then stands up and pulls Feyre up with him and says that he wants to show her something. And poor Lucian is left like the third wheel he is with his bottle of wine on the blanket. <laughs> And for the millionth time, I get it. But personally, you could leave me behind too because I'd be plenty happy sharing some wine with Lucian on the blanket while these two go do whatever the hell it is they are going to do. So I have to admit, like I, well, when I imagine, when I, when I imagine Tamlin, you and I, we, we went back and forth about this and it took you a long time, but we finally- In fairness, did. I couldn't picture anything for two thirds of the book. There was just this big blank stupid space where Tamlin should be. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so we, she, she, well, we started going through blondes, blondes, long blonde hair. I think the answer is there just aren't that many like Hollywood long blondes to reference. True. I mean, you've got, well, Chris Hemsworth, which, yeah. Right. But then also, I mean, yeah, but then he seems too bulky. Yeah, he is. He's a little too. So he's too bulky. So I was like, that's not right. I mean, close, but not right. Yeah. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, we were like, leg loss is not it. <laughs> no, leg loss is not it. Sorry. Love you, but no. So we were like something in the middle yeah you want to tweet us and tell us what that is please do <laughs> because we can't wait to see what they come up with casting because we got nothing yeah so Lucian's third wheeling on the blanket left behind Speaking and Tam lies. takes Farah. <laughs> Tam takes Farah to a clearing surrounded by towering trees and in the middle of this clearing is a sparkling silver pool to which Feyre's like, that looks like starlight. And oh, wait, it is starlight. Apparently, somehow we can have an actual pool of starlight water. What? Okay. So, okay. I, I do have one dumb question. Yes, please. Humor it. We're in the spring court. Right. Why is there a pool of starlight in the I don't spring know. court when there is a night court? I don't know. Okay. Maybe it's too cold there and it'd be a frozen pond. I don't know. All I know is that Feyre pretty much asks that question and Tamlin goes, I don't know where it came from. <laughs> I know, but you know, it just, sorry, Sarah J. Mass. I have questions about that one. I had questions too, but who cares? It's cool, pretty starlight water and yeah. it, it, this this weird impossible but possible starlight water is now the beginning of what is a pretty common trope <laughs> because now we get the bet you won't strip down and swim with me trope <laughs> skinny dippy so we're gonna help you build a spotify playlist by giving you suggestions based on chapter events and characters 
We know you can find these on Spotify because we did. And a fun fact, if you are listening to this podcast on Spotify, uh, we can actually play the songs for you at the end of the episode. So you'll hear those playing back to back if you want to listen to them and then go find them and download. Uh, And if you're listening on any other platform, like I said, you can just go into Spotify and type these in and we will leave them in the show notes for you. Yes, yes. And no, it's not quite that childish. It's basically what we get here because Tamlin takes his shirt off and practically jumps right in. And Favor's like, I'm good, thanks, and changes the topic. And so and she starts asking, Yeah, she, she, yeah. So she starts asking about Lucian and the fairy and the night before and and how Lucian kind of just ran off. And Tamlin explains that it hits too close to home for him because Lucian had some issues with his family, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, I think. So, so in this chapter, we get some background story about Lucian, which also I want to point out like how awkward we could just ask the man, but instead we're going to talk about him while he drinks his bottle of wine by himself on a blanket somewhere. Anyway. <laughs> All right, poor man. Anyway, so it turns out that Lucian is the youngest son of the High Lord of Autumn Mm -hmm. and was once in love with a fairy that his father deemed too low of a bloodline. So instead of just like being an ass about it or getting over it, he has her executed and makes Lucian watch while his brothers hold him down. Yeah, nice, huh? He's special. What the actual fuck? (laughs) Exactly. Dude, like people like they put the word dis into dysfunctional yeah so lucian in the right i'm sorry left the autumn court yeah but um, i can't totally blame him i mean he's number seven yeah. out of seven boys too i mean well that too so jesus so so that's how he ended up in the spring court with tamlin but apparently his brothers came after him to try to kill him and it basically ended in Lucian having to kill one of his own brothers. So Tam killed the other. Yeah. So okay. it's a lot. And that's why he was like stressed out the night before. So, you know, after that downer, Farah's like, so what happens if I drink the starlight water? <laughs> Don't know. <laughs> Uh, well, apparently, no, we do know, because apparently it would make you happy until your last breath, according to Tamlin, who then suggests that maybe they both need a glass full of the stuff. <laughs> maybe and a bottle. So, yeah, it's like, I could, yeah, you could share that with me. That'd be great. Can I have some? <laughs> so she jokes that she'd have to drink the whole pond and it might not be enough. And then he asks her in all seriousness, what would be enough to make you happy? To which she honestly replies that she doesn't know and girl fair. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think most of us could answer that question, at least not succinctly. <laughs> I'm not at 19. Right. So I felt like that was a pretty good moment. Again, this is one of those moments where her age shows but in a way that makes sense because yeah why would you know god i don't know i don't think most of us know and the fact that she knows she doesn't know good on her i mean go go fair on that because i i gotta say if somebody asked me what would it take to make you happy i'm like that's a hard question for me to answer and i'm 40 exactly almost 49 and i'm like uh, 
you know, I'm knocking on 50. And let's face it, when I was 19, I thought at my age, I'd have it all together and I'd know. And I ain't got an idea at all. That's okay. I'm almost 30. And there's that whole thing about how apparently I'm supposed to have my life together by now because by 30, I'm just considered old and decrepit. Yeah. Thank you, social media and advertising. How but that's a whole nother me, problem. Man. Yeah. Shout that's another you. problem for another day. It that's is a whole nother podcast. <laughs> But our, our point is at least, you know, we, we feel her and, and yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's sage that she doesn't know. I, I respect her for that. Um, right. I mean, so now she's like trying to now step away from yet another awkward moment. And so she decides that her undergarments are not too revealing. And she decides she's going to strip down and join Tamlin in the pool of starlight. <laughs> okay. You do you. Go swimming. <laughs> So obviously, because like I said, this wouldn't be a trope if we didn't have this moment. She's stripping down all awkward, realizing that he's staring at her. And honestly, I think she's feeling it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just a little, just a little. (laughs) So then she gets in the water and stupidly, this man asks her how she learned to swim. And I once again want to point out that her not being able to read really has no mark on her physical abilities. (laughs) again but whatever she's less offended by this question than i am (laughs) she answers him and then they continue to talk and he starts to ask her about how her father lost his fortune and she's a little confused how he figured this out and he points out that well because she's pretty well spoken and obviously you know there were some hints around their cottage and stuff when he was there Mm-hmm. and so she basically explains that her dad more or less made a bad investment where he basically put his money on three ships that don't come back <laughs> yep. and uh, you know she explains it better than that but that's really what it boils down to yeah. and then from there they slowly ran out of money and they ended up in the cottage and you know eventually she ends up hunting for their survival yep after all of this and some more chit-chatting and some more playful banter. We eventually leave the water, gather our clothes and find Lucian and head back. <laughs> and um, not, you know, we just move on. Um, <laughs> and this moment is over. <laughs> but again, it kind of leads us to the whole they're being cute, they're being flirty. Right we're getting somewhere i just feel bad for poor lucian third wheeling on the blanket now third wheeling on the ride back you know he third wheeled the whole thing (laughs) why he had to be there i still don't get but i still have no idea but on the ride back favorite does think like falls back and thanks lucian for telling her how to find the cereal and he apologizes for freezing when he heard her scream that day and because sarah j mass knows what i want and knows what i want in a tv show Lucian says, I hesitated. Not long, but I hesitated before I came running. Even though Tam got there in time, I still broke my word in those seconds that I waited. And then he hands her a knife and he says, it's yours. Don't bury it in my back, please. Yeah. And I just love this moment. And again, if they screw this up, I will be so angry. I almost would rather they cut it than than to do it badly. Yeah, I, I sort of agree with you. I could see I could see that side of it. Sorry. Um, but they're friends now. I feel like this is the moment where they're friends. So yeah, I'm all I'm all about it. 
And that pretty much wraps up chapter 18. So again, we know this episode has been super long. Uh, the chunks do get smaller from here out. We're trying to do our best to get you to these pivotal moments of, of, of the book. So one more chapter. Kim is going to wrap up chapter 19 so that next episode we kind of dive into a new series of events. <laughs> yes. So, so Kim, take it away and get us set up for that. I'll set us up. So chapter 19, it starts out going back to when she admits she wants to paint. And all of a sudden, Tam takes her on a tour of this gallery and it's just like, Oh my God, it would be like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm an art geek. So I guess for me, maybe going to the, uh, the Louvre or um, even the Met in New York, I, I don't know. And then Tam has her, has Alice take her to the room that he's designated for her as a paint room. All of the supplies she could ever want are in there and easels and paper and paint and brushes and just everything. And she starts painting after Alice leaves. And she does this for several weeks. Like, mm-hmm. all day long, Tam and, and, and Lucian are giving her a hard way to go. She won't let anyone in. She actually locks the room. Right. She's walking around the manor, and she's, you know, there's no sign of any crazy creatures. She stayed out of the woods, even though she's painted them from memory. Um, and she is still having these crazy dreams, plagued by nightmares right. of people trying to kill her of, of people dying in front of her creatures dying in front of her um but she did stop being afraid and she really was listening to what the surreal had told her which is stay with the high lord and you will be safe and so as she says at one point in here she's like magic didn't just abound in the bumps and the hollows it grew there and try as she might to paint it i could never capture it the feel of it so i, I Again, she's really going through this emotional growth. And this is over several weeks. And that's something we as the readers need to remember is, you know, a lot of this is taking place in a compressed amount of time. And they're suddenly expanding this out to several weeks because we have to get through a whole bunch of time. She suddenly got angry because she's like, Tam's letting me forget my family. Yes, he took care of him, but now I'm mad because he let me forget my family. Which is a super weird transition from... I'm so happy I'm painting. I'm so happy I'm painting. I'm so happy my pa- I'm painting. Oh, wait, I think I'm painting because Tamlin's trying to make me forget that I miss my family. Hey, I think my family forgot about me. I think I forgot about my family. I don't think they, basically it spirals into like your toddler's temper tantrum of like, yeah. Yeah. I don't think they love me. <laughs> you know? And it's just really odd to me. I mean, I sort of, part of me gets it, but how we get there is weird very very but to be fair it's to push plot along because of what happens next and anyway she gets pissed off after dinner one night and she storms out of the dining room and into the rose garden yeah because it's i guess probably the same day that she initially got pissed off about it but she let it fester all day she did because you know that's that's farah and they're out in the moon. She's out in the garden and she's just, I don't know what she's doing. She's wandering around, doing in her own thoughts. Yanking roses off the bush. And all of a sudden, Tamlin's out there and he's like, 
my father had this garden planted for my mother. And she's like, whatever. She doesn't derp. acknowledge him. She's basically like, derp, derp. I'm not going to respond to this, but also maybe I should stop yanking these flowers off. <laughs> exactly. And he's like, it was a mating present. Excuse me? <laughs> and she's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And he's like, okay, fine. He's, he's doing all this stuff. He's Oh, she's mad. You know, he's just, he's messing with my mind and he's making me no better than the children of the blessed. And I get it. I get it. So Tam comes in and after she's turned away yet again, stomped off having a little tantrum, he's like, you seem upset. Well, no, Captain Obvious. Really? And she's literally ripping leaves and petals off this rose. This poor rose. I feel so bad for the damn rose. I'm like, to be fair, that part, probably me at 19. Yeah, I could get pretty frustrated. (laughs) But I mean, he gives, she gives him credit. He's like, you know, he he doesn't yell at her for, for destroying roses that are special to him and his family. So you know, he's growing, he's learning. Yeah, yeah kudos learn. to him. He doesn't growl about it. Even if he does have his Captain Obvious moments. Um, and finally, she's just like, you know, she's like, you know, I don't know why I feel so ashamed of myself for leaving them. It feels selfish and horrible to paint. I shouldn't, shouldn't feel that way, should I? She's, she's talking and all, and she goes on and she's like, you know, all those years, what I did for them, and they didn't try to stop you from taking me. And I think, and he's like, if it grieves you, then I don't think it's absurd at all. Hello, Tamlin. I was going to say, which I really, I noted that quote too. I, I really think that was a special moment for him to tell her. Yeah. I mean, totally like, there's the adult that we've been waiting for. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. We finally have an adult in the room. Yeah. yeah. Because because we all have those days and where we all needed, we've all needed to hear that. Yes, very much so. And anyway, she stabs herself on a rose and she throws the rose away. Womp womp. Again, womp. we've probably all done that too. And it does hurt like a bitch. It does. We don't like it. You do suck your thumb because it'll bleed if it's, if it's mm-hmm. a good one. Okay, Abby. Bye. She's done with the story now. She's leaving us. Um, she's over it she's over it she's like I'm done mom gotta go and uh anyway it gets like kind of weird he suddenly decides to get romantic and I'm like okay yeah so the first time I read it it didn't stand out to me as weird then the second time I read it it felt really weird and then today I read it a third time for good measure because I knew we were going to talk about it. And now I land somewhere. Well, I think I land somewhere in the middle and I think it's because it's the visualization factor. Yeah. If you read the words on the page as the words exist on the page, it's awkward. If you picture, <laughs> come with me on a journey. <laughs> <laughs> if you picture. Put on that movie very, in your mind. Yeah, if you picture a really nice, like, uh, you know, decently tall hedges of these roses and it's like kind of getting to that dusk time because it's after dinner. So the lighting is just so, and she's standing there and she's frustrated and she's flinging these flowers around from his perspective. 
camera shot over his shoulder yeah. he's watching this and he thinks this is kind of adorable yeah <laughs> you know what i mean i think if you look at it from that perspective he's like this is kind of cute she's having a moment <laughs> she's having a breakdown and for once i think i know what to say and i and, and i think that's why this moment could translate really well to television absolutely it just actually the words on the page read a little awkward they are but and he, and going back to this translating in, into the, the 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 image so all you bridgerton fans out there or regency yes. romance fans hello sign yes. up. i'm there you know it's it's Emma going off about Mr. Knightley and you know it is There's right right it's oh. it's those romantic moments that aren't particularly romantic but build really nicely yes yes and so he he in this weirdly romantic gesture Tamlin takes her hand that's bleeding and he kisses it now any of you swoon worthy people if you're into the whole swooniness kissing the open palm of the hand. It's not just the back of the hand. No, no, no. It's the open palm of the hand, the wrist and the palm area. It is kind of like swoony sexy. I'm not going to lie. If, if you're, if you're a Discovery of Witches fan and you watched it, hello in season one, Matthew does it to Diana and whew. uh Yeah, but, it's cute. And if you overthink it, creepy. <laughs> anyway. So we're going to roll with cute. We don't think we were going for creepy. <laughs> no, I really don't. And Sarah J. Mass, God bless you, because I, I I probably took way too much into this because of all the other stuff I read and watch. Well, exactly. My apologies. My, my sister's an avid reader, and fantasy isn't really her go-to. So she's actually read this book, and we've talked about it before. My sister points out that a lot of what like you and I read into it has to do with what other fantasy background knowledge we have, or even sure. other just you know pop culture knowledge. Yeah, I know. It's, we're bad. As she but says, the next moment, right after that, she goes, but then I looked at my hands, which he still held, but the wounds were all gone. <laughs> he healed her boo-boos again, but it was... Yeah, so at least we got a point to this. <laughs> it's just so strange. I was reading it kind of going, um... Okay. Again, honestly, the description is worse than it will look visually. It, yes, I agree. I agree. And and most of us will read right past it fast enough. You're, it's not going to stick. I think the problem yeah. you and I have is we've now read it too many times. Yes. Fair. We're both like, That's kind of creepy. <laughs> like, yeah. Sorry. Completely fair. So moving on. <laughs> and, you know, he's like, don't worry about it. Do what makes you happy. Do what brings you joy. So Marie Kondo, yes. for you, we get to bring joy. Does it make you, does it bring you joy? He literally says, because I wrote it down don't feel bad for one moment about doing what brings you joy joy that's right so we have our and, moment <laughs> and i honestly love this quote so much because yeah. i can actually why i can overlook some of his douchiness yes is basically because of this moment yes yeah because this is a moment where not only does he care about her, but we can actually relate to this moment. I think most readers can actually relate to this moment that mm -hmm. most of us would just, to go back to that question where, you know, he asked Pharaoh, what do you really want? Mm -hmm. I think on some level, all of us just want to be given the freedom to do whatever that thing is that brings us joy. Absolutely. And not be judged for it or, mm -hmm. you know, 
Yeah. And poor fairy. She just she can't stop. You know, she's she's one of those. Gotta poke the bear. Yeah. And she's like, why do you do this? And he leans in close that she has to actually again this this is where it gets swoony ladies like this is going to be a seriously swoony moment in the tv show that she has to tip her head back to see him and this is the other line he says that i love i love i love because your human joy fascinates me the way you experience things in your lifespan so wildly and deeply and all at once is entrancing i'm drawn to it even when I know I shouldn't be, even when I try not to be. Again, that's like mic drop moment. It just it kind of blows me away that he like again he has all these douchey kind of Captain Obvious like dude really moments, and he's finally like getting past all that, and it's just like all of a sudden it it makes your heart go pitter patter. I'm not gonna lie, yeah. and he's totally flirting with her, and she's she's. She's buying it hook, line, and sinker, which she should yep. be. God love her. And he finally, you know, at the at, near the, the end of all this moment, you know, he's like, one day, one day there will be answers for everything, but not until the time is right, until it's safe. Womp womp. Yeah, he kind of does this thing where he opens a door and then slams it shut. <laughs> you think? But she admits that things have now changed between the two of them mm -hmm. the next day. And she leaves the manor, fleeing for the sanctuary of the woods for some fresh air and to study the light and colors. She did bring her bow and arrows, smart girl. And she settles down on the crook of a tree and she ends up, somebody follows her. <laughs> I wonder who it could be. Tamlin. She literally catches him in a trap in a snare hysterical one of the ones where he definitely ends up hanging upside down because they make a yes she it. says that because she mentions the fact that now his hair is all flowy downy <laughs> she's like i merely crossed my arms and looked up at the high lord dangling by his legs from the snare i had laid okay again what a fun visual it is. I mean, this is going to be a really fun one. And of course, she decides to play with his hair. Anyway, he cuts himself down. He knew he wasn't really trapped, but it was really funny. And he's like, he's flirting with her. Okay, people, let's let's be really honest. He's flirting with her. He's like, you know, are you feeling yeah. better? And they take a walk. And, and anyway, he comes out to totally flirt with her, but in a really fun way. He's like, well, just in case, I wanted to give you this. He hands her a stack of papers. They're poems, five poems, <laughs> very specific poems though. They're limericks. You remember that fun little list of words? Well, Tamlin decided to have some fun with it. He couldn't let it go. And apparently when he was out with his dad in the war bands, and you know, they would do these competitions to see who could come up with all these crazy dirty limericks because well, dirty limericks are a thing. She starts laughing because the last one is it, it progresses from mild to just absolutely filthy. And the last one is totally filthy. But apparently it was like the second and the end of the second and fourth line of every poem was one of the words on her list. But you know, you gotta give him credit. That's a creative way to use that weird list of words. Oh, it is. Oh, yeah. it is. Props props to Tam for that. 
anyway, they come walking back. And this whole question, he's like, she comes back, she goes, you said in the Rose Garden, you said your father had planted it for your parents upon their mating, not wedding. And he's like, well, hi, Faye, mostly Mary. But if they're blessed, they'll find their mate. They're equal, they're match in every way. Hi, Faye, wed without the mating bond. But if you find your mate, the bond is so deep that marriage is insignificant in comparison. Which is like really cool. And I wanted more details, which we do get later, but that's kind of all we get for now. <laughs> I know. And it makes you kind of go, but, but, but. And um, she does ask him, this kind of leads her down this rabbit hole of, well, what happened to your parents? Where are they? Right. He, he is honest when he says, my father was as bad as Lucian's, worse. My two older brothers were just like him. They kept Ugh. slaves, all of them, and my brothers. I was young when the treaty was forged, but I still remember what my brothers used to. And he trails off. It left a mark, enough of a mark, that when I saw you, your house, I couldn't, wouldn't let myself be like them, wouldn't bring harm to your family or you or subject you to fairy whims. Again. Yeah, he, he has some shining moments. He really does. And this kind of backs up his whole, you know, I'd fight on the side of the humans. I would, right. I would fight against slavery and tyranny and the whole bit. And it's really, oh, pitter patter. Thank you, Tamlin. And it kind of freaks her out to suddenly realize that there had been slaves on the land right. that she's walking around. So she does kind of freak out a little. I'd realized from an early age that fighting and killing were about the only things I was good at. Again, something that Farah and him kind of can bond over. Right. I trained and fought for my father against whomever he told me to fight, and I would have been happy to leave the scheming to my brothers. But my power kept growing. And I couldn't hide it, not among our kind. Which means that no matter what his brothers would have wanted or liked, he would have been the successor. He would have been the successor and that would have been other issues. So anyway, we, we get to it and he's like, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, they were all killed by the high lord of an enemy court. I was spared for whatever reason or cauldron granted luck. My mother, I mourned the others. Eh. and then you go through this and, he, and she's like oh that's how you became the high lord and he's like well yeah most high lords are trained from birth i wasn't and then they're walking as they go in and and as they're coming onto the ground she looks up on the hills and she sees people building these basically pyres for and lack of a better word is where his lack of communication skills he was doing so good, and now bites it in the ass. It does, doesn't it? But she asks, and she's like, you know, what are they doing? And he's like, they're setting up bonfires for Cal and Mai. It's in two days. For what? Fire night. We don't celebrate holidays. And she tells them this, you know, humans don't when we separated the whole bit. Right, right. And she's like, well, what does it celebrate? What does Fire Night celebrate? And he's like, well, it's just a spring ceremony. We light bonfires and the magic that we create helps to regenerate the land for the year ahead. And she's like, she's genuinely asking, how do you create this magic? And he's like, well, there's a ritual. It's a fairy ritual. You might see more fairies walking around the property, but you're not invited. 
And this is why I'm like, what the what the actual hell, sir? Like, what? Like, oh this bugs the crap out of me because you can't build trust like this. No. And basically, unless he has a really good set of reasons why she can't be there, he probably should have assumed that she's not going to listen to him. Exactly. Just as they get back on the property, all of a sudden Tamlin's like, stay hidden, don't move, don't come out, whatever you hear, don't move, don't do anything, no matter what you hear. And he disappears on her. And she's like, what the fuck, man? We just, you just told me yeah. what? Yeah, this has been a weird 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And so she's hiding behind a hedge. And she suddenly hears Tamlin and Lucian walking. And she's like, all right, maybe, maybe I can just, I can run to the stables. I can hide. And all of a sudden Tamlin starts snarling. And you're like, oh, oh that's bad right bad Tamlin yeah that's bad news bears in a while and but his comment stay hidden is starting to like ping around in her head and all of a sudden she hears Tamlin say I know what day it is but it's not solution they two of them faced something else but she couldn't see what it was someone invisible and she would have thought that they were playing a prank had she not heard this low, disembodied voice that says, your continued behavior is garnering a lot of interest at court. She has begun wondering, wondering why you haven't given up yet and why four Naga wound up dead not too long ago. Lucian, being Lucian, decides to be a smart ass. He can't help it. I know, but he needs to keep his mouth shut. He does. And, and it's, you know, speak you so ill of she who holds your fate in her hands. Now, I don't know if I were favor hearing this, I'd be like, who the hell is this? And I think that is what's mostly going through her head. Yeah, I know it is. But I mean, start putting things together because how many times has she heard this random she brought up, right? Mm-hmm. It's got to be the same person. And it's never pretty. Right. And so anyway, she's like, you know, she wasn't pleased when she heard of you dispatching your warriors, but as nothing has come of it, she has chosen to ignore it. So, hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And all Tam's says in response is, is, tell her I'm getting sick of cleaning up the trash she dumps on my borders. And Tam growls and finally gets this critter to go away. But before it leaves, it says that you have a heart of stone, Tamlin. You certainly keep a host of fear inside it. Now, a couple chapters ago, Lucian says the comment about Tamlin having a heart of stone and it getting soft. The two references to a heart of stone. And um, anyway, this creature disappears in the thing of wings and this foul wind bites Feyre's face. And then Tamlin comes around and scares the bejesus out of her and he's like, it's gone. And of course, then Lucian's all mad. What did you hear? And she's like, nothing, nothing I understood. But it really scared her and like scared her to the core. She's shaken. She's right. Upset. Happy thought. Yeah. Kind of ruins the, the moments we've had recently. <laughs> it really does. Mm-hmm. 
And anyway, she's trying to figure out who this, this woman is and she's noodling on it. And she's like, well, a high lady, perhaps, in lieu of a lord. Anyway, Lucia makes this comment, well, if the adder saw her and Tam's like, it didn't, I swear it didn't. I'm positive he and, he and Lucia go round and round. And then Tamlin disappears and she's been dismissed and, and she decides to take safety in her bedroom. So she goes to her room, locks the door and that's basically, that was the end of the chapter. So they're building these bonfire pyres. Yep. And some weird, scary creature visited them. We got this ritual coming up that we don't know nothing about. We've been told to stay home, but will we find out in the next episode? <laughs> no, it's Long good. story short, this is where uh, things get really uh, hectic from here on out. They get fun too, though. I mean, this is really... They do. This is why we appreciate you putting up with us and bearing with us through all of this, this world building that had to happen. Because now... It's all going to start to come together. Two songs. That's it this time. Woo-hoo. Um, the first one is Friend Like Me. Yes, it's a repeat from last time, but under a new set of circumstances, because not only does the song apply to Lucian and to Alice, because no matter what, they are the friend's favorite needs, not necessarily wants. Um, I'm going to put it in for the surreal too, because the surreal really does drop a couple of big truth bombs on, on uh, Farah. And again, it's it's the friend she needs, not the friend she wants. And, and it does make sense, especially as the series goes on. It'll make a whole lot more. Only other song I want to add, this is kind of a trite, kind of being stupid and obnoxious song, but we're both about it because we both think it works. Is So hang on to your Disney hat because here we go again. It is from Beauty and the Beast soundtrack. And it is something there. You know, the one where they're talking about kind of cute and she did this and he did this and anyway <laughs> all right well we appreciate you guys uh hanging out with us today and we have episode three coming your way so if you want to skip on ahead to that please do we will be doing let's see what are we doing we're doing chapters 20 through 28 so another fairly big chunk but they're getting a little smaller as time goes by as they get denser the fewer we can do that's right <laughs> I promise so you can head over to episode three or you're welcome to tweet at us all of your fan picks for the tv show casting because we just want to know do you see chris hemsworth do you see leg loss i mean i i hope you don't see leg loss that's orlando bloom and i'm not about that life but anyway Ooh. who do you see send us that on twitter and kim Tell us where we can be found. We can be found at the following places on Twitter at Massive, M-A-A-S-I-V-E podcast. We can be found on Pinterest at Massive Fans. We can be found on Facebook at Massive Fans Book Club and Podcast. And we can be found on our website, MassiveFansBookClub.com. Or you can just email us at massivefanspodcast at gmail.com.
Yeah, if you got a lot to say, if it's not going to fit in a tweet, we understand. If you want to send us your entire cast list that probably won't fit on Twitter, you can feel free to email us. We would love to see it. <laughs> yes, we really would. No, and please don't think we wouldn't. So, and I will tell you that on Pinterest, we're, we're, we are pinning some of the fun things we find, some of the memes that are out there about Sarah J. Mass and Sarah J. Mass world. So don't, don't feel you can't go check us out there um we yes live- and we will give you the heads up that on pinterest some of that stuff might be a little bit more spoilery so if you're really reading yes. along uh you may want to hold off for a little while yeah. but for those of you who have read you know either at least this first book but also deeper into the series uh we'll try not to get too ahead of full books as far as our memes go but we will definitely um post some of those memes and some of the fan art that we find that's yes. really nice um, and maybe we can there. start a board this is an idea let's start a board of all of the uh suggested cast members <laughs> Ooh, I <like> it. <laughs> what fun <laughs> i like it i like it maybe we should do our own too Ooh. There we go. Yes. Uh, and like I said, that's probably a, a bonus episode that you guys can keep your uh, eyes and ears out for in the future. <laughs> yes. Yes. We won't, we won't well, do it otherwise. Thank you again for joining us and uh, check out episode three.